I'll do. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, we went all off-season complaining that there wasn't a lot happening, that it was a little boring, that uh, we couldn't wait until August. Well, August is here, and now all of our complaints have been answered. We're no longer complaining. There's a lot happening. There's a ton to talk about. Matt and I have actually been out at 49ers training camp now for close to a week. So that means that we've seen non-padded practices, padded practices. We've seen Jimmy Garoppolo put on his knee brace. And today we saw him take off his knee brace for the first time since early 2018. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo play some contact football. I know quarterbacks are off limits to the contact, but he was still in there within the fray without his knee brace on. So that was significant. There's a ton of other significant stuff, including injuries, transactions. This is uh, going to be an extensive discussion of what's happening, Matt. But first to start, I guess I could just summarize what I view as the situation for the 49ers right now, at least as far as the biggest and smallest concerns are. I think on both sides of the ball, Matt, you look at the trenches I think the 49ers are exceptionally strong on the edges of both trenches, right? So on defense, Nick Bosa looks great, except for when he's facing Trent Williams in one-on-ones, but I don't think they have to worry about that, and that's also good because Trent Williams looks great. I think D. Ford is as healthy as he's ever been for the 49ers. Mike McGlinchey is as healthy as he's ever been for the 49ers. So between those four guys, and you know Trent Williams is a big one because we didn't know how he was going to look after a year off, those four guys look really good. I think the 49ers can you know breathe a sigh of relief if they had any concerns there. It's the interior of both lines – that I think might be the biggest concern with this football team right now, especially on offense, where Weston Richburg, the starting center, is going to be out for the first six weeks at least. The backup center, Ben Garland, just tweaked his ankle. He may be out for a couple weeks. So the 49ers are currently on their third string center offensively, and that messes a whole lot of things up because Daniel Brunskill is the third string center. And I think that's the guy they would have preferred to have won the right guard competition. So everything's in flux on that side. And then defensively, we just saw DJ Jones nose tackle suffer a shoulder injury on Thursday so the interior of the defensive line has also taken a blow and they already were missing a guy like Julian Taylor so it's an inside out kind of thing for me outside looks good inside is a little shaky and the 49ers are gonna have to figure that out heading into the season yeah I I think on the two sides of the ball they're a little bit deeper on uh, defensive line, interior defensive line. And Dennis will love to hear this. You know, we watched the uh, one-on-one pass rush uh, drills, and the interior defensive linemen have just been blasting some of these guards and centers for the 49ers. A uh, couple of big pancakes the last couple of, of uh, practices that we've watched. So you're right. I think that that center position in particular is uh, a little sketchy right now and, and could be really, really sketchy if, you know, Ben Garland suffered a more serious injury this season. Those are, you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan likes uh, mobile guys at that spot, which means that these centers are, you know, they're under 300 pounds, some of them dramatically so, and they have trouble anchoring against nose tackles. DJ Jones, before he got injured on on Thursday, just absolutely blasted the newcomer center, Hieronymus Grassou, like seven yards backwards, pancaked him. Uh, And there was a a couple more pancakes a couple of days earlier. So Dennis Brown would love to see this this practice because the the D-line sometimes is whipping up on their offensive counterparts. But going into the season, it doesn't seem like they've really solved that interior issue, which was uh, an obvious problem in the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. I think there's two parts of a training camp, a full padded training camp, that are the best, the most important. One-on-ones with receivers and defensive backs, full speed, and one-on-one pass rush. It's just man-on-man. You know, there's no games. Uh, you know, there's no certain defenses. There's no, you know, you're just man-on-man. First of all, you guys are lucky that you get to go to practice. I think I think that is, that is awesome, uh, especially with the times that we're in right now to go out there and kind of see some of these guys play. But I've seen a lot of reporting on Kinlaw, Javon Kinlaw. I heard him talk on the radio the other other day saying that he figured he was going to be just another guy, not the biggest guy uh, on the team. And, and when he gets to the 49ers, he finds out he is still the biggest guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And we hear Bosa talk about how, you know, he's a, a man among boys. So I'm excited to see what he what he's going to do. That offensive uh, interior, I mean, it's it's been that way for a couple seasons now, and, it, and it's always kind of seems like it comes down to injuries and you know who can you put in there to play this this stretch defense. You got to be an athlete, you got to be able to run sideline to sidelines, and you got to be kind of a mauler a little bit. So, you know, it's going to see. I know there was a draft pick out of Virginia, or or uh, was it South? Where was he from? West Virginia? West Colton? Virginia, yeah. Yeah. Colton McKivitz. We'll see. Yeah, McKivitz was a guy that, I mean, he's a mauler. He played guard in college. You know, who knows? He Maybe he can kind of sure up that, that interior a little bit. I know he's been running with, you know, as a tackle during camp. He might be a guy you want to try to plug in and see what he can do. But here's the deal. There's no preseason games. I mean, we're talking about hitting the ground running in, a, in about three weeks in a divisional game. So, there's really no time to evaluate. The evaluation has to be done in practice. The drills that really show it are, are anything that's one-on-one or if you got a goal line or a short yardage, what is live. And and, and that's where you, you're really going to kind of see kind of the toughness, uh, the physicality. Uh, and you got to be physical when you play uh, in interior offense or defense. So, But the report's coming out. Man, I wish I could go to camp. The report's coming out saying that, again, like last year, the defense is basically dominating, and I, I love to hear that. Well, the defensive line does have uh, the advantage, I think, when you look at the size of the bodies against, obviously, the lighter 49ers offensive linemen that you guys talked about. But in certain situations, the 49ers offensive linemen aren't lighter. And one of those situations, Trent Williams, obviously, is one of the biggest players in the league. So the 49ers have actually upsized at that left tackle position. So ironically, the one guy who's really struggling in one-on-ones when it comes to the defensive line is their best player, is Nick Bosa. Because he's having to fight Trent Williams. And I, I made a Star Wars comparison to Matt today on the sideline I I feel it's like the Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader and Luke are fighting and and Darth Vader is fighting him with one hand you know just kind of easily knocking him away I think Matt in his article said that it was like a a little kid Bosa looked like a little kid going up against uh, his big brother or something today with Trent Williams and that's exactly what it looked like and Bosa himself after said you know my normal pass rush moves that typically beat other offensive lineman cleanly, uh, I'm just getting stonewalled by this guy. And I think that's great news for the 49ers because, as I said earlier, Bosa is going to be a constant for this team. I don't think you have to worry about him at all. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to bring A to A-plus level pass rush on a consistent basis. He's just that polished of a player. He's so maniacal about football. I've heard that Nick Bosa walks through the hallways of the 49ers facility doing pass rush moves. 
That's what I've been told. I mean, this guy is just plugged in all the time. The wild card was going to be the guy who was out of football for a whole year in Trent Williams. And if he is is doing fine, the 49ers have that left side locked down for Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that's key because you look at the interior and that is trouble right now. As we just said, those guys are getting run over by the defensive linemen. Ross Reynolds is not the answer for center for the 49ers. Daniel Brunskill may be, but you're, you're asking a whole lot of, out of a guy who's already had to play left tackle, right tackle, and right guard. And now you're saying, oh, hey, forget the right guard competition. Come over and play center. I mean, that's not ideal. As far as Kinlaw, though, th- that's a good one to talk about, Matt. Uh, this guy's huge, but he's very, very raw. And if there's an interior lineman for the 49ers that has been winning on the offensive side in these individual drills, it's the guy facing Kinlaw. Lakin Tomlinson has ha- handled him so far, and it's been a wake-up call for Javon Kinlaw to, to show him that size alone, that power alone, is not going to be enough to win at the NFL level. He's going to have to, I think, dig deep a little bit into the book of technique to get past a guy like Lakin Tomlinson. Yeah, if the heavyweight, the, the main event is uh... – is Bosa and Trent Williams, then the, the undercard, the, the fight before that is is Tomlinson Kinlaw. And it's been a great one. Tomlinson's probably underrated sort of in the NFL frame uh, nationally. He's got, you know, he's a really strong guy. If he's not their weight room champ, he's he's number two to Trent Williams right now. Uh, and he also moves his, his feet well, which which is what Trent Williams does too. You know, Kinlaw is used to winning by bull rush, by, by brute strength. This will be a great question for Dennis. But, you know, right now that brute strength is just being stonewalled because Tomlinson has brute strength and he's got great technique. He, he moves his feet very well. And uh, Kinlaw has had nowhere to go in these one-on-one drills. And, and Kinlaw said this the other day, Dennis, that... I'm, I, I need to work on my, my power technique, my technique when I'm bull rushing, when I'm using power. I, I never really thought that there was much technique to that, that it's just kind of sheer strength at that point. But what, what was Kinlaw talking about? And can somebody sort of hone that aspect, that very sort of basic foundational aspect of his pass rush? When you're playing inside, your power move is your go-to move because you have to be ready for any absorb any double teams or any crackbacks or things like that. So your power move is your strength, but it's what you do off your power move. And it's all about the leverage. And it's playing low, it's using your long arms. And once you get locked up, that power move, when you're kind of bench pressing a guard or a center, now it's the next move that comes after your power move. But your power move is going to set everything up. So now we're talking about a quick arm over. Uh, Brian Young and Dennis Stubblefield used a rip really successfully you're able to have your power and once you feel that resistance you're able to kind of jerk and pull and use that arm rip or use an arm over so you know like David said in college he's used to using that that uh brute strength basically forklifting someone or just running a guard or tackle now he has to he's, he's dealing with guys like you said quick feet uh good technique able to keep the leverage so now you have to work on your power you feel that you feel when he kind of sits down a little bit, that offensive guard sits down a little bit. That's when you take it to something else. So I think he's talking about more having more off his power, setting everything up with his power, that being his strength, uh, and then doing something after that a quick rip, a quick arm over, or a kind of a jerk move to get past a, um, a, a guard or a center. So I think he'll learn that in the NFL. You know, raw talent is, is great. But at some point, you have to, you know, you have to have two or three moves kind of in your arsenal that play, especially on the inside, that's going to play off your power moves. Now, the reason that Brian Baldinger a few 
months ago said that he thought that Kinlaw would be an impact guy immediately, even if he was still unpolished, would be because he is so strong that he may still be able to absorb double teams regardless of the fact that uh, of if he's raw or not so uh, that's going to be really interesting to me to see what Kinlaw's impact is on the whole defensive line against another team obviously right now we're seeing him play against the 49ers offense but that 49ers offense is a little shaky on the interior outside of Lake and Tomlinson so uh, the 49ers can probably you know, move Kinlaw around, do whatever they need to to create some real problems for that unit, which isn't good for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's something that the 49ers are definitely going to have to address before the start of the season. But as far as Kinlaw and the 49ers defense goes, I'm excited to see what his impact from day one is going to be because everybody says, oh, he's not going to replicate the Forrest Buckner's impact immediately. It's going to take a while for him to work into, you know, the mix of things. But the fact that he is 30 pounds heavier, 30 pounds stronger than the Forrest Buckner tells me that there's going to be a different dynamic to this uh, 49ers defense, Matt. They may not be better immediately, but it's going to be different up front, and I think we're already starting to see a little bit of that with just how big Kinlaw is when he lines up in that formation. And they may be better against the run. If there was a weakness on this defensive line, it was against the run. Uh, I think they finished 17th and yards allowed, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and they obviously made a choice, and I think the right choice last year to really attack the pass first. This has become a, a passing league, and, and that's what you have to do as a as a defense. And I don't think anybody's kind of questioning their philosophy there. But you're right. When you add a 315-pound guy versus a 285-pound guy, he's able to, to hold his ground a little bit better. And if there was a critique of DeForest Buckner is that he is a long-legged guy, and he didn't get low a lot. He was good enough to fight off a lot of double teams and whatnot. He rarely got knocked to the ground, but he didn't always have great leverage there at the point of attack. So that's something that uh, the 49ers think that they can improve upon. And uh, when DJ Jones left practice on Thursday, the guy who went in to replace him, I don't know if he was playing nose tackle per se at that point, was Kinlaw. So when Jones is back and you've got him and Kinlaw there, that's a lot of a lot of beef. You know, Jones was having a, a really nice camp so far and a really good day, too. He's one of those guys that was showing off in the uh, one-on-one drills, and um, uh, obviously the 49ers are crossing their fingers about that. But at full health, that's a uh, that's a pretty, that's what, 650 pounds of uh, guy right there in the middle of that line. That's got to be pretty formidable, Dennis, don't you think, for a uh, an opposing rushing attack? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I played back in the time when you, you know, you had to have some weight on you to play on the inside because there's there's so much stuff going on. You had to be able to absorb some double teams. Um, I, I got a quick question. We we're talking about this this defense and, and I'm curious about have you guys seen uh, Dion Jordan? I mean, how is he looking? I know he's he's probably running behind um, either Bosa or D Ford. Is, is he looking like a guy that can still kind of do it on the edge. He got into he a fight good. today. He, so he passes he's got, so the <laughs> eyeball test. <laughs> he and Jared Jones-Smith, who's a lineman who won't make the team, got a little tangled up and off balance. Uh, I wasn't really sure what exactly happened, but Deion Jordan was upset after, and they started taking swings at each other. They both had their helmets on, so yeah. it was one of those kind of worthless fights. But <laughs> what what really impressed me about that fight, and this speaks a little bit to the – nature of 49ers camp and I've heard that even before the media showed up 
these guys were very diligent that even walkthroughs were the speed of a regular practice, that everybody's very hungry, moving quickly. Well, that fight happened. All the defensive linemen ran in there to, to break it up. And I swear, within like 20 seconds, they were back at the next rep like, as if nothing had happened. I thought that was pretty impressive because you could see fights a lot of the time and then everybody stands around for a bit to make sure people cool off. No, because Surik had them right back at it. And as far as Deion Jordan goes, I think we still need a little more time to evaluate that. Maybe Matt has has a little bit more insight. Maybe he was watching that part of the field more. But yes, the guy, I mean, he's six six. It looks like he's got a good get-off, good burst. So he's the guy that you do want in there behind D Ford because I think he is good for that speed rusher spot. Whether or not uh, you know he could become more than that, I don't know. He looks definitely looks a little slimmer um, than than a lot of the other defensive linemen because he is cut out in that speed rusher mold. So I think he's going to be that you know edge rushing specialist that that maybe plays alongside Ford in, in more of a NASCAR package like the New York Giants did back in the day. But I don't know, Matt, what have you seen? Yeah, well, you know, one of the reasons why he got in that fight is is uh, Jared Jones-Smith, who, you know, few people have heard about. He's a, a first-year player from Pittsburgh, uh, handled him pretty good in, in that one-on-one pass rush drill. I don't think that Deion Jordan has been all that impressive. He doesn't seem to have an array of moves, been pretty one-note from what he does, tries to get to the outside and doesn't quite have the quickness that D Ford has. So we've only seen five practices, so you can't make any big conclusions, but he has not jumped out to me this thus far. And David's right. I mean, from a, a pure eyeball standpoint, he looks fantastic. Big, tall guy with crazy athleticism. And I think that's why he was drafted so highly, but it just hasn't translated to this point. And, you know, maybe that's just uh, the process and he'll get better. But he lost, uh, I think there was... I don't want to say he went 0 for 4 against Jared Jones-Smith, but if it wasn't, it, he was 1 and 3 against him. Um, Jones-Smith, is it might be a guy that the 49ers hold on to. He's a big tackle, and he, he's shown that he can move a little bit. Kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I don't think he makes the team, but he might make the practice squad. But uh, he won his battle against Deion Jordan. And, you know, you say jump off the page. I mean, being out at practice for these five days, who you know, who are the guys – these underlying guys that we don't really talk about that much, who, you know, these late rounders or, or free agents uh, sign in, who, who's jumped off the page to you, both of you guys? I'll tell you who's going to have to jump off the page if Kyle Shanahan wants to continue operating the offense that he's probably been devising throughout the whole quarantine this offseason, and that's the seventh rounder, Jawan Jennings, because Jalen Hurd towards ACL, they just put him on IR on Thursday, and so much of – what the 49ers were talking about. I mean, Shanahan was even open about this when I asked him about, uh, you know, different blocking strategies and, and using bigger guys on the perimeter. The 49ers were, were very geared toward using that slot position uh, to put some big guys there, put a big body like Jalen Hurds there to be able to, you know, potentially even block linebackers with the slot receiver position, which could be a game changer, right? Normally a slot receiver, you're you're not even talking about blocking. And if you are, then you're only talking about blocking safeties, maybe some cornerbacks. But if the 49ers could put a big body at the slot that can catch the ball and block some linebackers, they can open up a whole new chapter of Kyle Shanahan's playbook. Well, Jalen Hurd tore his ACL. Next in line is Jawan Jennings, who's just a little bit shorter, He's uh, 6'3 instead of 6'5, 
But, uh, I mean, the guy was known as a physical monster at Tennessee, yards after catch guy. He's not afraid to block. I, I've liked a little bit of what I've seen from him so far, but uh, I think if you're the 49ers, you want him to really start popping off of the practice field, kind of like Brandon Ayuk has. Obviously, Ayuk is a first-round pick, so that's a little bit different, and they're in different positions. But uh, moving forward into camp, uh, if Jalen Hurd continues, I mean, if uh, Jawan Jennings continues his progression, uh, I think he'll be the guy that, that I pick as a late rounder who's really starting to blossom. I'll go to the other side of the ball. I thought that last year, Contavious Street, when he finally got activated late in the year, he didn't have much pop, and uh, I thought he was still kind of struggling with that knee injury, and he eventually went back onto IR at the end of the season. He's looked good so far, Dennis. You know, powerful, big, moving laterally well. Everything that they were hoping for when they when they drafted him a couple years ago uh, is starting to to come to to bear. Uh, another guy and, and somebody who might you know figure more prominently into practices and, and maybe even further than that, uh, if DJ Jones is is hurt for a while, is uh, Darian Daniels. He's a undrafted rookie from Nebraska. I think he was one of these guys who was sort of seen as a uh, as a tweener. Not sure if he's a defensive tackle. Not sure if he's a nose tackle. He's uh, lashed as well. So that just kind of adds to that defensive line depth and may mean a, a tough decision for this team. You count them up and, and they've got 11 really good or keepable, I, I should say, defensive linemen, and they usually hold on to 10. So they may have to uh, say goodbye to a player who another team is going to snap up pretty quickly. But I know you love defensive linemen, so those two guys have stood out. And then you probably saw the reports on Dante Pettis. He had a fantastic practice, fellow Husky, on uh, on Tuesday. <laughs> Hasn't really done much in any of the other practices, but the Tuesday practice was pretty special. And it got a lot of notice from uh, the media, and it got a lot of notice from Kyle Shanahan as well. Yeah, and you know I think Dante Pettis is a guy who's he's got yet another chance to kind of prove himself. I mean, this is what is his fourth season now with the 49ers, and I think they're still waiting to see that that guy that they saw um, at, at University of Washington. And you know I know he's a guy that doesn't want to catch the ball in the middle. Uh, he, he's not the greatest blocker, but if you get him the ball in space, he's got such quickness and and the ability to separate. I think that, you know, that's what Kyle Shanahan is still kind of waiting on. So he's got another opportunity and, you know, it's because of injuries, but he's got to take advantage of these opportunities at some point. And uh, one thing that surprised me, no one, you guys are talking about DJ, uh, DJ Jones, you know, getting injured and, and, and Daniel's kind of stepping up. I was hoping someone would say Solomon Thomas is having the best camp he's had since he's been out there. He's another guy that kind of has to prove himself. So uh, nothing on Solomon. Solomon right now, he's benefiting from the upheaval in the middle of the 49ers offensive line. So I'm seeing him win some battles in there. But again, he, I, he also might be a little bit heavier. I know that Matt and I were discussing this on the sideline the other day. He, he looks thicker. He's gone through some weight fluctuations over his four years with the 49ers. Came in around 272 that first year. Uh, they weren't really sure where they wanted to play him. Obviously, that's a big problem when you spend a top five draft pick on a guy when, when you can't really nail him down to a position. I just think that when they drafted Solomon Thomas, they were so uncertain uh, with this roster because th- there were so many holes across the whole roster. They were enamored by his potential 
to play both inside and outside because they wanted to fill as many holes as possible, you know, instead of getting a guy that was a little bit more specialized. But it's turned into a whole jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of situation for Solomon Thomas because then in his second year, he bulked up to like 280 so he could play on the inside more. Then we saw him lose some weight last season, and now it seems that he's more geared up to play on the inside because the 49ers do have, you know, many more edge-rushing specialists now, and they're hoping that everybody is going to stay healthy. So we'll see where Solomon ends up uh, for the 49ers, but it looks like his body is definitely more suited to to work against guards on the inside. He still has that athleticism. That was, I think, the main calling card for him, and we'll see if that happens. And, you know, along those lines, I want to circle back really quickly. Dante Pettis and Deion Jordan, I, I find that they're in a similar boat in that, you know, Dennis, you just said that Dante Pettis is great, you know, if he doesn't really have to get open for himself or really have to work uh, against, you know, physical uh, – let's put it in a nicer way. If he doesn't have to work, you know, in the physical middle of the field, he's going to be great, you know, running in in those open spaces that the offense creates. In a similar way, you know, I don't see Deion Jordan winning too many one-on-one battles like, like Nick Bosa would if he weren't facing Trent Williams. But if you use Deion Jordan's athleticism in the right spots, which I think the 49ers might be able to leverage, he can roar around that edge and, and really do some work in space. So I think Pettis and Jordan, obviously two very different positions, two different body types. In that way, they can be good complementary pieces uh, to an already talented football team. And if, for Solomon Thomas's sake, you got to hope that's the, the, the case too, that he finally is able to be that complementary piece on the inside instead of this jack-of-all-trades that they wanted him to be for three years. Or, me, you know, last year, I guess he, he wasn't as uh, relied upon. But, but if he can just be in one specific spot, I think he could give the 49ers something, maybe not starting caliber snaps, but something productive along that defensive line rotation. Yeah, he's about 280 right now. So back to where he was in a, in his second season. And yeah, hopefully they'll they'll continue to play him at defensive tackle. That's that's where he excelled at Stanford, taking advantage of, of guards and centers. And uh, that's what he can do in, in the NFL. That's where he's going to be the most effective. So hopefully the rotation is such that they don't need to kind of split him 50-50 out there like they have in, in years past. But, you know, that's the reality of it. He's going to go wherever the, the injuries tell the 49ers he needs to go. It'll be interesting. He's one of many, many guys on this roster who are going into their final season uh the 49ers could pick up I, I guess they can't pick up the fifth year option that that uh deadline has passed but i think the hope in in some ways is that a lot of these players have the best seasons of their careers because they are going into their final seasons their contract years you saw sort of that frustration today from dj jones who's in that boat he really worked hard this off season. it was showing in training camp and uh then he got uh a, a bit of a shoulder injury we don't know the severity of it but uh, you could just kind of feel the fr- frustration that you know Ronald Blair had this last year. Here I am going into my contract year, and uh, all of a sudden I got injured. Kwan Williams had the same thing early in training camp. He's going into his contract year too and got injured early on. So there's some of that going on. Uh, luckily, it isn't as bad. Dennis, as it was last year in terms of the injury bug, but they still got about a week to go before they go back into sort of a a regular season mode. Yeah, and you talk about contract years. I mean, that tends to motivate players. You look at Eric Eric Armstead last season. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about was he going to be able to make it it on the team, and he, he ends up having the best year 
of his NFL career. And now, you know, he's sitting sitting on a pile of money. So that that tends to motivate uh, a lot of players, knowing that this could be the end and I got to play my best and it, and, it, and it motivates people. Now, one more question, then I'll be done. I, I, I'm curious because I just wish I could go to practice and see these guys work. I'm curious about the cornerback position, the, the competition. You know, Mosley and, and Weatherspoon and, and Jason and Dante Johnson. I'm just wondering, have you have you seen who's running with the ones, who's running with the twos, who's having the best camp? Well, obviously, Richard Sherman has that one side locked down, but it was really interesting because right. Robert Sala the other day went out and said that the other side is a wide-open competition. I mean, he, he made a point to use the words wide-open in his press conference. So, uh, obviously, the leading candidates there – are Emmanuel Mosley and Jason Verrett, as you mentioned. And that's the big wild card because Verrett is a good player, very talented player with the massive asterisk by his name of if healthy, right? Uh, Last year, that ended up being an issue again for him. And I I just don't even think that the confidence was back yet last year. So he might have been physically back or 80 90 percent physically back but when we saw him going against pittsburgh it was ugly right yeah. it, he, he wasn't psychologically there now you know he did get beat by brandon Ayuk the other day on a deep pass uh, i think it's more credit to jimmy garoppolo and brandon Ayuk because that was one of the nicest connections i've seen at 49ers camp over the past couple years but he still looks way more the part i'm talking about jason verrett he looks psychologically in the game now. He, it looks like that confidence is back. That one deep ball won't just completely break his psyche. Last year, he seemed fragile. This year, I don't think Jason Verrett seems fragile. And I think that was a big part of the reason why Robert Sala said uh, that th- th- this competition is now open at cornerback because Jason Verrett has given the 49ers reason to believe. Matt, do, do you think, are you reading the tea leaves the same way that I am? Yeah, I, I would. the word I would use to describe Jason Verrett is comfortable. I mean, he just seems uh, more at ease, more confident, you noted, uh, out there than he, than he was a year ago. We, we barely saw him a year ago. He, uh, he had to sit out all of the spring drills because he was coming back from a knee injury. And as soon as training camp started, he got a really bad uh, high ankle sprain. So he was out for all of training camp and then came back and then had the, the Pittsburgh game and uh, re-injured his knee there. And, um, yeah, obviously the comfort level and the confidence wasn't back last year. He just looks like a, a different player. And, and he gives them something uh, that, you know, all these, all these teams are going to need in 2020, which is versatility. I mean, he can play in the slot as well. And, you know, Kwan Williams is out right now. He's been one of the best nickel cornerbacks, in my opinion, in, in the league in recent years. But he's only 180 pounds or so. He's the smallest guy on the team, or one of the smallest guys. Uh, and when you're playing on the inside like that, it's basically a, a linebacker position. Um, you know, you're going to be in uh, a lot of uh, high-impact plays. So, it's very good to have, you know, not just one, but maybe two backup nickel cornerbacks. And uh, Jason Barrett can do that. And, you know, we're talking about a 49ers team that lost DJ Jones uh, to the Seahawks uh, just a few weeks ago. So that's, you know, we talked about center to, to begin. I think that nickel cornerback is also a problem area or a potential problem area that somebody like Verrett having some experience there can really fix. So to answer your question, Dennis, he's looked really good. Akello Witherspoon, they've worked him a little bit into the into the ones. Uh, so uh, I, I would say it's probably a two-man race between Mosley and Verrett at this point. 
And, um, you know, they've got a brand new defensive backs coach, Tony Oden. You know, he's going to have a huge input on on who wins this job. And we don't really know much about him. We don't know what, what he likes. It's sort of a wild card, that, uh, that second starting cornerback position, who's going to win it. In my book, I see Emmanuel Mosley there. I mean, if he continue, continues to play at the level he played last season, he just gets continues to get better. I think that's his position to have and it'd be great to see Verrett I mean if he's gonna if he's I've never seen the guy really play at San Diego I, I really didn't see him that much but if he can get in that that slot and that nickel I think it helps that helps the 49ers defense overall and I think you know Richard Sherman is you know he's a player coach so I, I think he will help uh, with a lot of the decision making that's kind of made in uh, in that secondary because he's just that guy. He's got so much experience, and he's and, he, and he's so good. He's so knowledgeable about the position. So it's going to be weird because it's no, there's no preseason. You know what we see is what we're going to see in about three weeks. So I'm super excited. I mean, I'm a little nervous to see what's going to be on the field that first game, but it's a divisional game, and and it, it's going to be kind of who is going to be out there. You know, pretty much the entire season. So it's going to be interesting. I'm excited though. It's funny that you mentioned Richard Sherman. I've been watching him every day. During warm-ups, he gets into this extremely technically detailed conversation with Tony Oden, the new DB coach. And you would think that Richard Sherman is you know, a first-year undrafted free agent uh, just trying to make the team by impressing his coach and trying to get all the technique down. But it's obviously not the case. He's entering year number 10. He's off on you know the side of the field, walking through different technique, asking Tony Oden. I'm sure Tony Oden is is asking questions in return, so I'm sure this is going both ways. But they are detail oriented there, um, in plain sight. While everybody else is warming up, Sherman is working on the little intricacies, and he's obviously hungry. I think entering this year, he was silent for quite some time after the Super Bowl in February. I think. For Sherm, that that loss hurt, and uh, it hurt a lot of the 49ers, obviously. But they they stewed for a while, and they probably had more time that they would than they would have liked this offseason to stew over that loss. But Matt, uh, I think Sherman is maybe example A. Uh, but I think there are a lot of examples of of a lot of focus that we're seeing from this team at at practice, and I think it goes back to the fact that they were so close last year. They had a lot of time to think about it, and now they finally have a chance to act on it. Yeah, and, and we saw that on, on Thursday, sort of that, that focus and that intensity. Uh, Thursday's practice was the best practice so far, and, and we mentioned the, the very brief fisticuffs, but that sort of kind of tells you what the mood was like. It's sort of like a a burning underneath everybody, um, and uh, Dennis noted this. No preseason games this year. So uh, tough practices like that. And, and these days, Dennis, you, you, you wouldn't recognize the training camp. It, uh, you know, it, the hitting is so few and far between and tackling non-existent. Uh, but having said that, uh, the Thursday practice did have some heat, did have some intensity, and seemed like a really good as, or as good as you're going to get warm-up for the regular season. Um, so, uh, you'll, you'll be pleased to hear that that kind of zest, that kind of intensity, uh, is going on in these, in these practices. (laughs) It's interesting because football is so physical and it's hard to kind of duplicate that, that game speed and 
the physicality of a uh, of a NFL football game. At this point, you're a professional, and you know you, you should know how to tackle. You should know how to kind of turn it on when you need to turn it on. When I was with the 49ers, we never had pads, and we in Rockland we would do you know one on ones and we do a little goal line, but uh, it was mostly non padded. It was all about the technique. So. But we had to turn it on when it came uh, game time. I think they're starting to kind of build that culture where, you know, you know what's expected of you when it comes on Sunday. If you're running with the ones, you're not used to playing in the preseason. When football season starts, when that first game hits, you're kind of thinking about getting your sunflower seats and your hot dogs on the sidelines. Now these guys have to kind of change the mode, change your thinking. You have to be ready to go full go uh, come three and a half weeks. So, or three weeks or so. It's going to be interesting, but I think these guys, I think Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan and John Lynch, they've done a good job of building this culture. I think the guys know their expectations. They know what's what they need to do. And just getting so close last season, I mean, that, that leads a, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. No one thought you were going to get to the position you were in. You got there. You just kind of have to remember how you did it. And I think it was done by a, a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, game prep, getting yourself ready and going and executing come game time. The biggest hit that we've seen so far in training camp was a couple days ago. It was Fred Warner dislodging the ball from Tavon Austin over the middle. And to give you an idea of how much training camp has changed, I kind of thought that well, the players really enjoyed the hit. I could tell everybody was embracing Fred Warner. At least the defenders were. They're congratulating him. He was getting a lot of love on the sideline. But Fred Warner's own defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, when I asked him about the hit after practice, was not complimentary at all. Maybe on the inside, Robert Sala liked watching that because everybody was healthy. Nobody got hurt and everything. But maybe Robert Sala had to give the press conference answer to not get the offensive coaches upset. But he's like, yeah, we don't like to see that. Hitting shouldn't be happening anymore, essentially. And uh, (laughs) at at that point, it was... uh, uh, you know, uh, an answer that I just really chalked up to how football is nowadays. The, these guys don't want to see too much contact. It makes everybody cringe. Where, you know, Dennis, when I was talking to you for this 49ers Cowboys piece I'm working on, or uh, talking to Gary Plummer, uh, the, the 94 season, the 49ers, you guys at training camp really uh, had to get tougher to beat the Cowboys, right? So it's just a different time in, in football now. And, and I think you could just chalk it up to that. You know, we did that article, and it was a great article. I can't wait to, to, to read the entire thing. But, yeah, we, we were at a point where we had kind of forgotten how to be physical. And, you know, when you have guys on the team who – and when you have guys that come in from other teams that hit a lot and they come to the 49ers and there's not much hitting, at that time we weren't doing much hitting, I mean, you, you, you kind of have to tell them to gear down, and they, they really didn't know how to do it. So <laughs> – and we knew that we had to be tougher, like you said, to, to finally get over that, that uh, Dallas hump in 94. And we had a lot of really physical practices. Now, at the same time, when I first came to the team in 1990, you know, the guys were a little bit older. So, you know, and they didn't really need the hitting. And sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're a younger team, you got to have to kind of teach the, to, to how to be physical and how to be, you kind of build on a little bit toughness. So, you know, that was the case for us. But I remember that year, we did a lot of hitting. I was I was surprised. I thought I could get out of it, but there was a lot of hitting going on. But this team is physical. I think last year they showed that they were, they were really physical at times, offense and defense. So, you know, it, it's a good thing, but I, I, I think Sala was just – it doesn't sound like Sala would say that. It sounds like he'd, he's the type of guy that would get excited about 
a big hit. But you're right. The times have changed. And with the injuries now, again, we've said it over and over again. There's no preseason. So, I mean, you've got to kind of kind of watch the guys that you have on the field now because this is kind of what you have to play with. Let's wrap up by talking about what I think has been the most impressive connection here in camp. Obviously, George Kittle always impresses you when he's on the field and he's healthy. Today, he ran over Jared Maiden, the safety, but uh, I think it's the rookie, Matt. I think it's Jimmy Garoppolo to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, there was so much talk this offseason about how rookies would be so far behind that it would be really tough for them to get going, and Ayuk has just blown all that out of the water. I, I think he's clearly the 49ers' uh, best wideout on the field. I don't think he's going to lead the team in catches, but I think that his the versatility out there uh, it, it just really shines through, and he's caught deep balls. He's caught little screens. He's caught the intermediate passes. We see the long limbs, which you know really helps him uh, extend for some footballs, get open. And I think we've seen the fact that he studied the playbook all off season. He's been impressive in all regards, and and that could really add another dimension to the 49ers offense. Yeah, you're right. He's he's better than expected, and. You know, he spent time with Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason, um, both at San Jose State and, and when they had those practices out in Tennessee, too. And it, you see that. I mean, um, you know, Shanahan's been saying that uh, on the on the you know rare occasions when we spoke to him during the, the lockdown. He said that, yeah, it's it's terrible that we can't practice in April, May and June. But the uh, the Zoom sessions that we've been having. Uh, sort of the classroom stuff has been has been really good and, and better than expected, and and I think you're seeing that uh, with a lot of these guys. Uh, Kinlaw is on his game, um, Ayuk is on his game. All these rookies, uh, the, the two undrafted running backs, uh, Jermichael Hasty and Savan Ahmed, um, are 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 both uh, astute. There, there there hasn't been any sort of you know first practice issues where they're having to run plays over or run plays at half speed. Everybody is going full bore. And I think you're right. I think Ayuk is uh, is sort of leading the charge when it comes to that rookie class. And you know, he's a little like Debo Samuel. Um, even if he's not fully up on his game, and, and you wouldn't expect a rookie to be, uh, especially a rookie wide receiver, he's still going to be effective because they can get him the ball. They can throw a screen to him. They can hand him the ball on a jet sweep or something like that. And uh, he's going to make an impact on the game. So uh, it, it kind of uh, is a nice uh, attribute to have. And Samuel showed this last year. You can be really effective as a rookie, even if you're you know, not a, as great a route runner at this point as Emmanuel Sanders is or, or some other folks. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch him in uh, on September 13 against the Cardinals. Uh, I wonder if he starts. I think he probably would. Uh, I think it would probably be him and Bourne at this point if Debo Samuel doesn't play. But um, he's going to be fun to watch, and he's going to come out of nowhere for 49ers fans because there are no preseason games. Uh, Dennis, are you looking forward to him, and who are you looking yeah. forward to seeing for the very first time in a, in a 49ers uniform? Well, of course it's going to be Javon Kinlaw. I want to see how he does. Oh, of course, but... yeah. <laughs> but Brandon Ayuk, I mean... It... It's good to hear that he's he's having such these great these these great practices and he's and he seems like the learning curve's not there. I, I just wonder how much it matters that now there won't be any fans in the stands. You'll be in an NFL game, 
but it will feel like practice. Uh, and you talk about can these guys, you know, you, can, can they perform on the big stage and the lights and, and all that good stuff? It's going to be like a practice. And I think it's going to be advantage to some of these rookies because you won't have the big crowds, the cheerleaders, the bands, and, you know, the announcer. And all, I mean, you'll have a, you have a, uh, an announcer guy, but you won't have that big crowd and you won't walk into Levi's Stadium with, you know, whatever it is, 40,000 people in it. So it, you'll feel like you're still in practice. So it'd be interesting if these guys do well in that atmosphere because in your mind, you'll still be thinking you're, you're kind of in practice. I mean, you're practice, but you're playing against other guys. It'll, it'll feel like you're just doing a practice again. So it's good to hear that these guys are excelling well uh, in, in the practice environment. Yeah, it's a good point. What we see now may be much closer to what we actually get because sometimes that adrenaline can really change things in a real game. And, hey, nobody knows that this is going to go. We've seen it in other sports. People who actually are at these baseball games, for example, they say that they're weird as heck when they're at these games. It's just very, very different as far as the vibe is concerned. On TV, they're actually able to mask the changes a little bit because there is that noise that's piped in. The camera angles are more zoomed in on just one or two players. But when you're actually at the baseball game, I think it was Tim Kawakami, our editor-in-chief, he he wrote about it uh, about a week ago at a Giants game. He, he said that he really couldn't recognize what was going on. It looked like a glorified practice, and that's exactly what yeah. Dennis is saying about what football might be. So uh, that's going to be interesting. I know that they're going to be trying to pipe in noise, which some – other teams may or may not have already been doing over the past few years so we'll see how the 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 noise situation works but it's awfully hard to replicate 70,000 screaming fans on their feet with just speakers at the stadium so we will absolutely be tracking that with great interest as this moves on anyway we'll be back with you guys next week with more training camp analysis there's so much going on all of a sudden we didn't even really get to some of the back half of the roster transactions and maybe we could save those until near cut down day because there's going to be a lot of guys filtering in and out uh with these rosters actually are going to be bigger this year guys because the practice squad is going to be 16 people big instead of 10 and six guys can be veterans so expect the 49ers to keep on signing players and if they need them obviously and if they don't like a guy they can send him out bring somebody else in because they're going to try to find the guys they could keep on the practice squad this year to hopefully uh be there in case they need them during the season in case somebody tests positive and then all of a sudden you're in a situation where that depth is necessary so we'll discuss all the nuances everything in our next episode which will come next week anyway for matt barrows and for dennis brown this is david lombardi we'll talk to you guys next time